0: We slipped out of that series last week, the uh, under-construction series that we covered, and then we moved into this other idea, this mini-series that's going to take us just to December 1. And it is titled, Who We Are. It's uh, around about this time, uh, we revisit the church values that we have as a church. And uh, we set some goals on how these things could be realized in the year to come. Uh, We don't... a lot of people have a vision Sunday, and, um, and I kind of I read a quote this week by DJ Bonhoeffer who actually said that, you know, that he, he actually writes straight up that God hates dreaming vision. Um, and, and he's coming from the angle that it's not appropriate for pastors to kind of write visionary checks that God perhaps didn't ordain or isn't going to, che- isn't going to cash. And, and instead, we, we kind of examine who we are as a congregation. What are the values that we hold? What are the things we major in? What are the things we just know we are here to do? And, and, and how do we major in those things? And, and uh, so that's kind of how we go about it here. We don't get a guru up here going, this is what I believe we're going to do and you guys are going to follow. No, it's who are we and how do we major in those things in the year to come? For the newer people who have joined us in recent months, we hold four church values. Uh, they are published on our church website and uh, on the information boards out there um, behind the Fishtails pictures, uh, they're important this week, uh, that um, yeah, we've got those stated there. And uh, we revisit them, we reconsider them. And uh, last week I considered, asked us to consider the value of being a deliberate disciple-making congregation. And the feedback afterwards has been awesome. You guys have been really encouraging about that. Uh, I thank you for that. Um, look, the honest truth is that if churches don't have a journey, a deliberate journey of discipleship going on, well, they kind of miss the main business of who they are. You know, if churches don't have discipleship going on, they kind of cease to be one. Um, likewise, if Christians don't take up their cross and follow Jesus, if they, if Christian, if you want to, you, you, there's a point where you actually, if you do not have a deliberate journey of discipleship in your life, you'll find yourself hanging around with Christians, but are you one? It's a really burning question to to consider. Uh, It stops us going through the church motions, as it were, and actually asks us about our sense of followership of Christ. And I use the word journey there deliberately, as opposed to the word process. Discipleship is something we deliberately pursue. As a church, we do have uh, systems and resources at our disposal to help it along. We've got Alpha and those sort of programming things going along. But it will lose power if it ends up simply reducing us to ghosts in a machine. The church is not a disciple-making sausage machine that creates clones and is consumed with KPIs. It's a living, breathing entity that builds up fervent Christ followers.
1: So, we need to be both deliberate about the journey and mindful of the orga- organic nature of it at the same time.
0: I, I'm just going to repeat the goals. There was a, we had a full house last week. We had a ridiculously full house. And again, it's the same today. But there were still people who probably missed out on this bit. So, let me reiterate the three goals that I suggested for the year. This is not, we didn't go, gee, we're going to achieve this number of things or this thing. No, I actually came up with three very simple things. Everyone identifies a few areas in their own lives that need some work. Alright, so that's actually, you know, I talked about muscles that we tend to, uh, there are muscles that we build and there are muscles we kind of ignore. I'm a gym guy. There are muscles I like to work on because I like to look good with said muscles. There's others that I don't necessarily work hard because nobody sees them. Everyone wants ripping abs but don't want to work on their back of their legs.
1: Stuff like that. I offered a list. Different things about our spiritual formation.
0: Some of those you might identify as muscle groups that you've been working on for years. And you go, gee, as I look at that list, and if you want, if you're going, gee, I need that list, get your phone out, take a screenshot. And some of those, you might go, you know what? Those things have been, I am so buff in some of those areas, it's not funny, I am, I am looking good. But maybe some of those look like leg day for us. Maybe some of those look like muscles we, we haven't really taken much time to build on. And uh, so in the year to come, maybe identify one of those areas and go, Let, let's build on that. Add to the strength that I already have add to the things that already look good,
1: something else that will actually enhance who I am. Second goal I offered was this.
0: Everyone identifies the chair they currently occupy and aims to move across one spot. Now, these are the chairs I spoke about last week, and um, this is from Dan Spader's book, Four Chair Discipling. It's a really easy concept to work with, you probably need to watch the whole thing last week to get context on this idea. Uh, but people start here in the seeker space, they move across, they become converts, they kind of get an idea that G- Jesus is real, I'm going to start following. And then we kind of cross this barrier, of, we get baptized here, we kind of start you know, doing things that, that look like actual you know, forward motion, we get to know the Holy Spirit in this space, uh, things like that. Then we step into discipleship, we start learning how to die to self. And, um, and, and start working on, on key formation areas in our life, and eventually we go, you know what? I realize what I'm here for. I'm supposed to be making disciples, because that's what the Great Commission's for. And uh, so there's a bit of a journey there. That's just a nutshell of it. But no matter what seat you might find yourself in, would you consider moving across one? what would it take to get out of the seeker chair and go, you know what, Jesus is real, I'm now giving him my life. What would it take to go, yeah, I've been sitting around the periphery for ages, now I've got to go all in with this thing. And what would it take to go, you know what, I've been sitting pretty for a while, I've got my stuff worked out, but people around me need me now. And speaking of which, the third goal was this, would the next 10 disciple makers please stand up? and I offered these relay buttons on the chairs here. I put 10 out because God told me to work with 10 disciple-makers in 2020. And I said, if you believe God is nudging you to get out of the comfortable discipleship chair and become a disciple-maker, and there's going to be some very unique expressions come out of this. Put your hand up. Come up after the service. Use the marker that is there. It's a permanent one. Just putting it out there.
1: Put your name on this thing, put it straight back on the chair and leave it there, please. Six of these were filled in last week. Four remain. And I believe God has been pretty clear to me on that. So the next four people, please stand up. The next value for us to consider is this.
0: We are committed to intentional mission, and that has been the theme of the day this morning, hasn't it?
1: When we think of mission in churches, and I've been around church life for quite a while now,
0: it can be a common practice in many church circles to hear the word mission and write it off as something that we either write a check for or leave to the more suitably gifted, leave it to the experts.
1: Some of that is actually correct in both theology and practice. I'll give credit where it's due. Peter has
0: already talked about the the missions journey, and, and that's going to be an exciting journey we go on. It's actually appropriate for the Western church to kind of write some checks and do some support in practical and prayerful ways to the churches in other nations and to the missionaries in other places it's not always appropriate for us to get right up there and do the missionary work in those neighbourhoods. We, an article I read this week actually said people who come from the West into the Near East, for example, they operate as midwives, not the birthing people themselves. They're the people that actually uh, come alongside the workers that encourage and equip and offer uh, assistance and, and offer, um, and, and offer a, a coaching and, and be on hand for the people who will actually reach the culture a whole lot better than we ever could. The article I read was actually critical of Western people going in there, doing Western missions, sharing a Western gospel, trying to plant Western churches and expecting a Western outcome in an Eastern space. And that's even when we go in January, we are, you know, we would love to see some people come to faith in that time. We did vocalize that in our planning on Friday. But we understand we are there to encourage the brothers who are there, to to equip them with stuff that they don't know just yet. They're still a young nation in church in, in Christianity. So there's things that they that, that we've been asked to specifically speak into when we are there. So we understand that we operate as midwives when we do that, and, and, and we, we, we support financially, which is probably the most practical way that we should be doing that from the West to the other nations. So yes, that is appropriate. Write a check now and again. Yes, have a missions department in the church that is financial as much as it is practical. Leave it to the gifted. Yep. Ephesians tells us there is a key ministry that is gifted to the church, the evangelist. The evangelist is Jesus' gift to the church, alongside with the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, and the pastors. Their job is to equip and build up the church in doing the work of evangelism in their various contexts. These are the ones in our congregation who help us with vocabulary for witness. These are the ones who help us understand the culture we are in and how to break into it with the gospel. If we are not quite cutting it yet, these are the people that kind of go, you know what, let's read the culture better and engage. They are the apologists who help us explain and defend our faith. And perhaps most importantly, and I love this, um, Ellen Hirsch calls it this, evangelists are recruiters to the cause you'll usually find that evangelists are often the provocative voices in the church challenging us, nudging us about how we announce and demonstrate the kingdom in the community around us. To us in the congregation, it's almost to a degree that they serve as midwives also. They can't birth every new disciple because they can't birth the disciples that you are ordained to make. They can't sit in your lunchrooms and present the gospel. They equip you to do it. They can't sit at your Christmas table this this December and, and speak to your family and share the gospel in your setting. They don't have the relationship. You do.
1: That's what the evangelist does. They can't do everything. They equip and
0: assist us so that we can. So yes, there's validity to a degree. Yes, we write some checks. Yes, we leave some of it to the gifted. But in the area of mission, there are some practices that we simply cannot outsource or pay others to do. Ultimately, discipleship and witness are deeply entwined together. You can't separate the two. Having some missional outlook is part of our growth and practice as disciples.
1: Over the years, I've been known in church circles for my work in the sphere of evangelism. So, as perhaps one of the more suitably gifted people in the congregation, I'm here to help.
0: And I'm going to do that by throwing three simple verses your way. Three simple Bible verses and just thinking these through briefly. These are the most common verses on evangelism you will ever encounter, and every evangelist knows them by heart. These are the go-tos.
1: There's so many other ways we can do this, but simplicity is always key. And I happen to be seeing
0: seeing these in a fresh light now that we add the subject chairs have been established. 1 Peter 3, if you is the best way to start. Verse 15 and 16, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. You may hopefully remember this verse from the Bells model we spoke of back in last January, because we all remember what was preached in January, don't we?
1: We talked about Mike Frost's concept of living questionable lives. In context,
0: this verse is a call for Christians to live a life that is different and refreshing to that of the unchurched world around them. The church has been called to live out such amazing lives that the pagans take note.
1: And even though they are operating in opposition and persecution, there's going to be a part of them that can't deny what you have. It's not a call to campaign for their rights and freedoms,
0: but to live as apologists and living examples of what true Christian faith looks like. The greatest
1: element of that apologetic is the hope that we all walk in. Hope, when it is
0: understood well, will make us carry ourselves in a noticeably and refreshingly different way. When you have hope, you stand differently. You carry yourself differently. If you have no hope, it is visibly evident. There is something
1: tangible. If you have hope, something tangibly is different about you and people around you will take note. So with this verse in mind, being missional is simply the ability to live with a
0: tangible outlook of hope a way of looking at life and carrying ourselves which causes others who don't have it to ask where ours comes from. And as they start asking questions, we will get an opportunity to point them to the same hope we have.
1: We'll be able to alert them to the the rule of God through Christ. And then, once alerted, and once the questions continue to come, the dynamic shifts in the conversation. So, no longer are we doing evangelism, but we are actually in the more comfortable seat of something that looks more like discipleship.
0: Your lunchrooms become an environment, even though they haven't said, I believe yet, They've already become not just a I'm breaking the ice and trying to alert people about the Lord. I'm now answering questions about the Lord. And I'm doing it through the lens of the hope that I have. And suddenly we become in a much more comfortable discipleship space rather than this evangelism thing that we don't always find ourselves comfortable in. If we're faithful just for the short time here,
1: it gets easier when they start coming here. to The seeker seat. And you will see more and more people come to this chair the more that
0: you are able to demonstrate that you have a Christ-shaped reason for the hope that you
1: have. And that you are able to articulate the hope that you have in Christ. At its most basic level, in a way that we can all do this as long as we have hope,
0: being missional is being a beacon and a carrier of that hope
1: to those who are not in a chair yet. Hopefully that is simple. If you've got hope, you can be missional. My next governing verse is this, Acts eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This verse for the disciples was anticipating Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost,
0: where the Spirit is poured out in a powerful, miraculous, prophetic way. This is not a moment that defines their salvation. They were already disciples of Jesus. They're already following Christ. They have already received the Holy Spirit that saves them because Jesus breathed on them earlier.
1: It's a moment that equips an emboldens for witness. And this is not something that only evangelists get. You'll receive power if you've got the gift. No, you will receive power. And as we see throughout Acts, you look at the Samaritan Pentecost, when
0: the the Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples at Samaria.
1: You don't even have to have a whole heap of your faith worked out to receive the Spirit either. This power and this awareness is something I believe is part of the second chair journey. Peter's gospel account, Brothers, what must we do? Repent, believe, repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Interaction with the Holy Spirit is a convert stage thing. It's
0: why it's part of the Alpha program. It's why it's part of our elementary
1: course. Because it is an equipping that comes to converts. This is anecdotal, not scientific, but many
0: ministers and even writers will, will report that the most effective witnesses for the gospel,
1: the most vocal about their hope, are often the ones who have been believers for 12 months or less. When it comes to being a witness, when it comes to being mission, missional, Converts, second chair people. People who have known Jesus for as little as a day. I've seen it happen. Know enough and have enough in them through the Spirit to do evangelistic things. It's also cool to note that this power when used in witness plays a role in our movement from the convert chair to the disciple one. The word witness is the word we get the word martyr from.
0: There's an element of dying to self that takes place when we open our mouth and proclaim Christ. There's an element of denying ourselves and elevating Jesus that comes when we lift our voice about Jesus, Right? If the Spirit emboldens us and the Spirit enables us, suddenly we can speak out about the wonders of Jesus. And as we do that, we draw some negative responses around us. But we are putting ourselves out there in a way that says, it's no longer I, it's Jesus. And the more we engage in that idea of witness, the more we slip into this space. Because suddenly, it's one thing to
1: kind of hold it in your heart, it's a whole other thing to vocalize it. You will be my martyrs, my witness when the Spirit comes on you. You won't be able to help yourself. It has to come out. And the natural byproduct is that you grow in your faith at the same time. Final verse, Matthew 28 Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.
0: Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything
1: I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Scott McKnight, I presented his definition of a disciple last week. He offers a bit of commentary on the Western Church, and he observes like almost like two extremes of church life. There are churches that he calls like a satirical
0: model. They're all about just sealing the deal. You know, the culmination of every sermon every Sunday morning is about, have you received Jesus or not? And... If you have learned nothing else throughout the day, we celebrate the fact that one or two people gave their life to Jesus each week. Often there's a lot of KPIs attached to that behind the scenes and all this other stuff, but there are churches that just focus on getting people to say a prayer or getting people to that choice where they get saved. Salvation's a process, it's a journey, it's not necessarily a... It can be a moment, it starts in a moment, but it's a journey. But a lot of people are happy just to stay there and go, they prayed a prayer,
1: everything is fine, set and forget, let's walk away, let's next disciple, please. He's a little bit critical of that.
0: Others, he says, are all about preserving good doctrine and ensuring their congregations know all the things. They will use statements like, we are a teaching church, to describe themselves, often as a way of defending the fact that someone hasn't found
1: Christ in their building in decades. Two extremes. Scott McKnight is a little bit cynical because he calls that the
0: satirical model, and he calls this other one the evangelical model. <laughs> There's a lot of churches in the far in, in in the religious right that kind of sit in this space. Haven't seen someone come to faith in years, but are happy to be who they are because they know all the things and preserve all the things. I believe the Great Commission, a Great Commission is a pathway
1: between the two extremes. It is built on the premise of go and make disciples and baptize and teach them.
0: This doesn't mean get everybody to pray a of prayer, prayer and everything is fine. It actually means engage with a person by being a beacon of hope, alert them to the reign of Christ, and then invite them
1: up to the first chair where the discipleship journey starts and keep working with them. None of that needs an expert. The stats suggest the opposite.
0: If you think I'm out of my depth of bringing somebody from out here to here, no, you, no matter what little you know, you are already sufficiently equipped to play a role in that journey. Everybody at the most basic level has the capacity to be missional. As long as Jesus is Lord, you've got
1: something to say. As long as the Holy Spirit is active in you, you have something to share. Not being a gifted evangelist is not a reason to not be missional. Last week I offered that list that you took a screenshot of just before about discipleship. And I'm going to do a reflective
0: set of questions even now for us now when it comes to the area of mission. Let me ask these burning questions. Have we given in to the write a check and leave it to the experts mindset? It's the idea that says, you know what, there's other people that do that stuff. I just kind of facilitate it in the easiest way. I'll just pray for the experts. I'll just just handball my responsibility and leave it.
1: Have we fallen victim to the handball mentality? How well do we demonstrate our hope? How well can we articulate the reason we have? How would you describe the hope you have? Are you ready to engage with people as they take their place in the first chair? More often than not, this part cannot be outsourced. Are you ready for one or two crazy questions at a lunch table?
0: Are you ready for one or two curly questions in your school classroom? Are you able to engage with a few areas of Christian living and Christian worldview and how it operates in the face of the pagan worldview around us? Have you got a willingness to engage in questions that come your way? Because they will come. I remember being 21 trying to rationalize the Martin Bryant shooting that took place. So, a bunch of people older than me in the room and, and, and just trying to work out. This guy goes, So, someone like Martin Bryant could find faith and be, and make heaven his home. And I'm like, I was in a hurry to go, Yes, but such is why? Because I was in, in this way of going, I just want to highlight the power of God that even the worst sinner can find Jesus. Yeah. Tone deaf to the room, because the next thing he goes, he eyeballs me and goes, Well, if heaven can inhabit if he can inhabit heaven, I'm not one, I don't want to go there.
1: Do we have readiness for the questions that come and how we navigate choppy waters that people come our way? Do we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? I'm not asking if you speak in tongues or prophesy, even though I am in the continuous camp and believe in those gifts. I'm asking if the Spirit emboldens and informs your witness. Are we stuck in the extremes of church life that robs us of the power of the Great Commission? The erroneous outlooks. Yeah, let's just get them saved and I can walk away, job done. Or, it's not my job, not my calling, not my gifting. And last thing, are you an evangelist as Ephesians 4 would describe? Are you making yourself available in that role? Are we making appropriate use of you? I'm going to take 60 seconds. Look at those. Grab a screenshot, think them through. Let's reflect for a moment. elements all right watch this space
0: with the revitalized missions team that's going to be awesome to watch over the course of the year there's going to be uh things going on there there's some good stuff happening and uh i can't wait to see how that takes shape we're just weeks away from this missions trip to the thai burma border and a 2021 one will also happen there's already people showing interest in that so uh, just be praying about whether God wants you to be part of that and, and stay tuned for the reports that come back. And what we, I believe what we learn in this one in January is going to show us a lot for future trips as well. There's other opportunities also opening up to us in that space as well. So just be considering that in your heart and praying for us as we do that. If you're an evangelist, we need you. We need you to provoke us. We need you to to nudge us, to wake us up. If you are equipped as such, we need your apologetic. We need your defense of the faith infused into us. We need you to be speaking into the life of the church, and we kind of need to know that you are being used in the right way. Every congregation has an evangelist in their midst, at least one, a number of them at least. Not all churches make use of those people. I want to be more deliberate about that, about the ascension gifts that exist in the church. It's more than a widespread thing in the life of the church. It is a widespread thing, I mean. It's not just who we pay to do the job. It's actually a presence in the life of the church throughout the place. We want to find the evangelists. We want to hear your stories. We want to be inspired by what you share. We want to be equipped by what you have. And in doing that, the Undaunted Evangelism Conference is designed to do that also, where this is a conference we ran, Carl Faze and Tina Waldron were people I chose because of their gift of evangelism to the church. And in 2020, it will run again. It was a success in 2019. We definitely are going to run with it again. I did, I've invited some interesting people to come to be part of that, and I'm waiting for some yeses, but I know we're going to have a great thing happen. But people who are known as... Specifically gifted evangelists coming to speak life into us and to help us with the journey of being missional ourselves. These are some of the structured things. Now let's talk about the stuff that we can all do. House church leaders, would you consider a local mission project for your group in the year to come? This has been something we've been doing the last few years, and um, and there's been different outcomes in different groups, different things, different initiatives come about you know what, let's all get in on this this year. It's a massive year of just seeing great things happen, so let's all consider what missional thing we can do in the community around us. How can we be doing something that is practical, or how do we do 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 something that is is useful around the place that, that shows the kingdom of God to the world around us? While you're at it, would you make space in your discussions over the year to discuss the hope you all have? By doing this, I was, I've been attending the Karen study group on a, on a Sunday afternoon. And they have testimonies going on all the time about what God is doing in their life right now. Some of the other house churches in our, in our structure also have allocated testimony times in their groups. You know what those things are doing? They're sharing hope. They're demonstrating hope. They're articulating hope. They help us actually learn how to speak about what God is actively doing in us at the time. Can I just encourage us all find ways of speaking out and articulating the hope that we have amongst ourselves? Practice using it amongst ourselves and in the environments we have so that it becomes second nature when it gets asked to us outside of that space. I think we need at least two house churches to adopt an Alpha program in 2020. Alpha is likely to run twice next year, and would some of you consider following the lead of Matt and Sell's group this year and adopting Alpha so that, one, you get equipped with a bit more vocabulary and understand the program better, but also you get to practice that vocabulary with seeking people in that setting and probably have a chance to bring some seeking friends along for yourself as well. Can we perhaps look at that as an option for the year to come? And my big one for everybody. If everybody is moving across one chair, if our discipleship journey is that everybody moves across one chair, suddenly we have a very vacant one all of a sudden. And as we all move across one across... I'm going to ask us and remind us through the course of the year, are you first chair ready? And if you're not, what do we need to do to help you with that? Practicing evangelists in the church, your job is to help us be first chair ready people. Undaunted will help us become first chair ready people my job as an, as an evangelist I, I can show you how to do some of that and speak into different situations we want to work together and actually get, you know, there's a spare seat now for the seeker so let's look to see those things occupied and are we ready to start speaking to those people when they come into our, into our spheres of influence and into the ministry spaces that we have we're going to encounter a whole lot more seekers in the year to come There's stuff unfolding in the life of the church right now that I will share coming soon that is going to create a space for the seeker. What do we all need to brush up on in order to speak into those situations? What do we need from the Holy Spirit as we do that? What do we need from Him in order to do that? And the last thing, let's get on board with the deliberately missional things that our congregation just does. Solid Rock Cafe is an institution, a prime spot to share hope. The youth will have outreach elements. They may call upon the congregation for extra help and support at times. We just might need the manpower. In fact, they do need the manpower, by the way. They probably could use a few more leaders, and it's going to be a very missional ministry next year, so let's consider that, please. Please. Fishtails, what more can be said about that this morning? How amazing is that ministry? There's going to be some missional stuff with our women's ministry, and, and we have the attention of the city with the fortnightly Bevers with the Brosabent. And there's an emerging group who are getting more involved in areas of justice at the moment in our congregation. And that is really, really exciting. People who are doing justice, loving mercy. We're going to be celebrating those things as they emerge, I'll tell you now. In the very near future, you're going to start hearing about an event called the ping pong thon Playing table tennis for 24 hours in order to fundraise, to, to support projects that bring an end to childhood slavery. There's going to be stuff like that that's going to be on our radar and I pray that you would be part of those things as they come up, that they grip you, that they excite us when they become available. Mike Frost says this. If mission is the alerting of people to the reign of God through Christ, our mandate is to do whatever is required in the circumstances to both demonstrate and announce that kingdom. We feed the hungry because in the world to come there will be no such thing as starvation. We share Christ, because in the world to come, there will be no such thing as unbelief. Both are the fashioning of foretastes of of that world to come, none more or less valid or important than the other. Whether we're administering justice, whether we are shouting from the rooftops, we are doing mission. We're announcing or we're demonstrating the kingdom of God. And mission is taking place as we do that. For 2020, I see a rather well-rounded approach to missional activity coming together. Will you prayerfully consider what part you personally play in your own life and how we together can actually achieve some great missional things in the year to come? I'm done. Two values so far. We are deliberate about making disciples. We are a disciple-making congregation. And following on to that, we are a deliberately, intentionally missional congregation.
1: Let's stop and let's pray.